Oh, uh, how about all the children coming up? Come on up, kids. Come on. Come on up. Have a seat. Oh, you can sit across here. You can sit over there. Come on. Oh, here they come. Wow. I'll tell you what. Let me, let me take my stuff off of here. And you can sit there too, okay? All right. Good. Are you really smart in math? Do you like math? You don't? Well, let's try something here. I have two problems. Problem number one is one plus one equals one. Is that right? It is. I mean, no, it's one plus one equals what? Two. two. But now the next one is an interesting one. I have one plus two equals four. That's wrong? Oh, so I have to change that, huh? So I could just take this pencil and this eraser, and I could do this, and I could make it a three, and it's all right, okay? All right? Now let me check something out. Let me put this up here. I want you to open your mouth real wide. I want to look inside. Uh, you don't have one. No, you don't have one. You don't have one. Let me say, you don't have one. You don't have one. Do you know what you don't have? You haven't got any eraser. So, when you say something with your mouth that you shouldn't say, you can't erase it. You can't take it back. Oh, yeah, there, but for your mouth. So, if you tell a, a story about somebody that's not true, you can't take it back. If you call somebody a name, you can't take it back. If you lie to your mom and dad about something you did, you can't take it back. It's there. Now you can say, I'm sorry, but you can't take it back. I remember things that people said about me 60 years ago. They shouldn't have said. They can't take it back. They've said they're sorry, but, and that's okay. And that, it, we're, we're still friends. So what I want you to understand is that while on paper you can make a mistake and correct it and erase it, when you say something with your tongue, you be very, very, very careful. The Bible tells us that we're to speak the truth in love. The Bible tells us we're not to lie. The Bible tells us we'd be nice to other people. So next time you go to say something, remember this can't take it back. Say the right thing, say the nice thing, and say the kind thing. Okay? Okay. Go sit down. All right, Jesse said that I need to tell you something about myself. Uh, not much to say. Um, I've been in ministry 50 years, retired two years ago. Um, and been doing a little bit of pulpit supply like I'm doing today. Pastor churches in Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and then somehow he went to Alaska for a while, and then came back to Vermont. I went back to the church I started my first ministry in to finish up. Um, when I was in Vermont in the 60s, I said, you know, 
I came up here and cut my teeth and made a lot of mistakes. And when I get older, I think I should go back to a small church and take my experience with me and be able to help them rather than help destroy them as you, as you do sometimes when you're dealing with the church. Pastor churches from uh, start out with 13 in Vermont. We wound up with 65 when I left, all the way up to 350 plus, and back down to 40. Uh, various places, uh, country, uh, villages, urban, and uh, Alaska is just out there, you know, just way out there. So um, we've had a very interesting ministry. I have three children. My wife is not with me this morning because she is teaching a lady Sunday school class at North Valley. Um, the reason she's teaching that class is because the teacher asked her a month ago to teach it, and she said yes, and then Jesse asked me the next Sunday to come here. And so this morning we had to do that division kind of a thing. So that's where we are. I met Jesse 10 years ago when I went to North Valley. And uh, we've had an on and off again relationship because when I went to North Valley 10 years ago, I left to do a year and a half inter uh, interim ministry in Athens, came back to North Valley, went up to Preble for nine months, and I went back to Athens for four and a half years. And so I've really been only at North Valley on um, well, maybe three years out of 10. But we have a Reveille group on Tuesday, on Tuesday mornings where uh, Jesse comes and we have time for prayer and discussion, so I've had a lot of interaction with him. Um, why don't you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. In Acts chapter 28, um, there, is, there are 10 verses that... Um, describe an incident that took place. And uh, I would like to read those 10 verses, and we're gonna focus on one after we talk about a little bit about the background. It says, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us in a little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt, this man is a murderer whom though the hath escaped the sea, you yet vengeance suffered not to live. He shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked at when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after that, he looked a great while and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said, he is a God. In the same quarters were possessions of a chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father Publius lay sick of the fever and of bloody ox, whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they laid us with such things as were necessary. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word, and we just ask that you will open the word of God to our hearts, that the spirit of God will be our teacher, and that we'll be encouraged and challenged as we go about everyday life. And as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Picking up sticks. We're going to focus really on verse 3, and we're going to focus on that phrase, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Um, you know, life can have trials and tribulations, as I hear all of you sharing the problems other people have and we have. Uh, if you're doing your reading, you'll find out that Jer David Jeremiah called them bends in a road. Uh, Gordon MacDonald called them disruptive moments. Warren Roseby, Worsby called them bumps on which we climb. The bottom line is that we have anticipated events that come into our lives. Most of us would usually have chosen not to have them happen and, uh, and to avoid them. The question is, are they stepping stones? Or are they going to be stumbling blocks in our journey with the Lord, in our service for the Lord? And the difference is attitude. What is our attitude? Ann Turnage, um, who founded an organization called CanCare, which is a cancer support group, said this, attitude is your paintbrush. It colors every situation. Attitude is your paintbrush. It colors every situation. There's a man named John Stephen Aquari. How many of you ever heard of him? Uh, nobody did, I'm sure. John Stephen Aquari was a marathon runner from Tanzania. He went to the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. Uh, he had a time in making the Olympics that was equal to the winning time and I think a little bit better. So he had a good chance to win the Olympic race. As the race started, uh, he was not used to the high altitude, and as they got into the race, he picked up some cramps. And, the, and, and then the, the, the race went on, he got into a group of men and he fell. And when he fell, he hurt his knee really bad. It was bloodied and it was banded all up, and they bandaged it up, and he continued the race. Well, in the stadium, what happens is when you do the race, you come through the stadium doors, you come into a lap, and then you finish at the finish line. Well, in the stadium, it was an hour and a half after all the runners had finished, the crews were closing up, and all of a sudden the sirens were going, and the door opened, and in comes John Stephen Aquari. The, the winner had won, had been awarded his gold medal, Everybody had gone home, and here he is hobbling. And for the few people that were left, they were sort of amazed. And he came in, and he came to the lap, and he made his trip around. And he came to the finish line and fell on his face. And uh, those that were there gave him a standing applause, the few that were there. And when he got up and he was taken to the locker room to get cleaned up and thing, the, the um, reporter said to him, why did, you, why did you finish the race? Why didn't you just quit? And he was amazed. He was dazed by the statement. He wasn't sure exactly what, what, what they meant. So they asked again, 
when you fell, why didn't you just quit? Why didn't you continue to race? And he said this, my country sent me to Mexico City not to start the race, but to finish. That's attitude. I think of the Apostle Paul who said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. Think about bumps in the road, disruptive moments, and bends in the road. He had experienced all of them. And yet here in this account, he is on his way from Palestine, from, from Israel, on his way to Rome as a prisoner. And as he travels along this road as a prisoner, you find that he comes across this event and this, this thing happening. Well, the bottom line is this. Uh, he leaves on a ship headed for Rome as a prisoner. And as he leaves on a ship, uh, the ship, it runs into a storm. And it wasn't too bad. And they sailed underneath some islands, if you read chapter 27. And they put it in a place called Fair Havens, but it was not a good place to winter. So he, he urges them not to go, but they go anyway. And they run into a storm. I've lived on the coast of Maine, and I know what a northeaster is. And a northeaster can be really, really bad. And I thought that was really a bad storm. And then one day I was watching on one of the channels on television about the crab fishermen up in Alaska. And have you ever seen that, those people fishing? Those boats are going up and down. And in fact, last summer, they had a storm so bad that one of the crab boats just disappeared. It just went down. No, no SOS, no warning, they have no idea where it went, it just went down. And here's these sailors in this type of storm, and it says in Acts 27, they gave up hope, they figured they were lost. They did everything they could do, they lightened the boat, they got rid of stuff, they set out anchors to hold the boat as a drag, they just completely, completely gave up hope. The Apostle Paul, Guess what he was doing? He was down below sleeping. Now, I got to tell you, I've been on big boats in a storm, and I didn't sleep. But he was sleeping. And finally, he comes up on deck, and he says, hey, guys, I got, got a message for you. First of all, you shouldn't have left, like I told you. <laughs> I, I love this guy. I told you not to go, and you shouldn't have gone. Otherwise, if you hadn't gone, you wouldn't be in this mess. But... I want to tell you, an angel of the Lord spoke to me and said, we're all going to be saved. 276 people on this boat, and we're all going to save. No one's going to die. And then he says something very interesting. I can tell you this because I believe, if you read the text, it doesn't say, I believe in God. It says, I Believe God. God said it. I believe it. A lot of people in the world go around and say, I believe in God. Yeah. yeah. He's out there somewhere. I believe in God. You know, but we have to understand that our life, our salvation, our whole life is based upon the fact that we believe God. What he said, we believe. And so as a result, the ship finally breaks up, and everybody is into the water. 
I want you to look at the last verse of chapter 27, verse 44. And the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of ship. And it came to pass that they escaped 274 people. Nope. 275 people. Nope. 276. They all escaped. They all came to this island. Survived the shipwreck. Survived the cold water. And when they get there, there's a group of people. They, it says barbarous people were there, had seen what was happening from ashore, and they built a fire. So you got those round tables, is the fire. Probably a little bigger than that. And everybody is standing around the fire. Shaking. You've been wet and cold? Yeah, shaking. Trying to get warm. Well, not everybody. 275 people of them were. One was missing. It was Paul. What does it say? When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Very interesting phrase. Let me suggest a couple of lessons we could learn. First of all, Paul learned to be the master of his circumstances. He wasn't going to be defeated by them. He had all kinds of situations he found himself in. We have a tendency that our circumstances determine our attitude instead of our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord should determine our attitude, how we deal with our circumstances. People go around and say, well, everything's going to be fine if you're a believer, no matter what situation you're in, everything is all right, right then and there. Because we have the Lord, the circumstances didn't catch him by surprise. Our, our, our hope, our faith is not based on circumstances, it's based on that fact that we believe the Lord. And so Paul saw this not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. He saw it as a stepping stone, not as a stumbling block. And if you read Paul, you, about his life, you find that he, that was the whole concept of his life. He's in Philippi, he's been beaten, he's in jail with Silas. It's midnight, what are they doing? They're singing. They're giving thanks to the Lord. Earthquake comes and they're set free. Do they run? No. They're there. Why? Because God had put him in a situation for a purpose and as a result of what had taken place, the Philippian jailer and his whole family came to know the Lord because of the testimony of the way the Apostle Paul handled his circumstances. What else do we find here? Um, this is Paul. He could have had a pretty big head, you know. List of churches that he had established. Those in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. Those in, those in, in Greece. Um, he was the one who was... The authority. If you read the scriptures, you'll find that basically as an apostle, he exercised authority over all the churches. Top dog today. Head of the top CEO. Head of, the, head of everything. Oh, he also wrote a few letters. 
Not just any few letters, but a few letters on the inspiration of God, which became scripture. And Peter in his lifetime talks about Paul's letters as being scripture. Um, he, he wrote about, in Philippians, about let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He's not around the fire going, hmm, nice one. Hey, go get some wood. Hey, you go get some wood. Hey, you go get, no. He says, wait a minute. Somebody needs to keep this fire going, so I'm going to go get some sticks. See, true humility, no job was too small for him. Too honorary, too dirty. He had a servant's heart. He led by serving. You know, people who are big in their own eyes have a tendency to look down with contempt on people they deem to be little people and upon task they consider insignificant. If Paul was here today and uh, sitting in the congregation and you said to him, you know, Paul, uh, this week, will you please be the janitor and clean the church? He'd say, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because he was a man who understood what it was to be a follower of Christ. It's something we have to understand in our situations. As I travel around, most of the churches that I visit are churches of your size, a little bit bigger. To stay in New York, there's a lot of churches between 35 and 50. And a lot of times I go into a church and I talk to people and I get an attitude of discouragement. It's like, uh, we're just a small group of people. We don't know what we're going to do. Uh, we don't know how long we're going to last. We don't know what's going to take place. We have to understand something very important. And this is something that if you don't understand, it'll destroy your hope as for the future. There are no little people in God's eyes. No little unimportant places in God's eyes. God is not a respecter of persons. And this morning, at this time right now, there are churches that are bigger than yours in, in numbers. There are churches in situations that have gigantic numbers that are worshiping the Lord. But I want you to know they're no more important to God than you are. You know why? Because you're here for this community. They're there for that community. You can't win their community. They can't, you can't win, they can't win yours. And so we have to understand that maybe we feel unimportant, but we're not unimportant to God because that's, God's not a respecter of persons. Third thing we can see from Paul's lesson here was his example to others. He demonstrated humility. He demonstrated compassion. He demonstrated service, compassion. I've tried to define that at times, and somebody wrote these words. It is our commitment to activate ourselves as channels of God's love, mercy and grace and tender, thoughtful, understanding acts of help, deliverance, forgiveness, and restoration for those in need. What a mouthful. In other words, compassion is the emotional side of love. You can do things out of love and do it with hard heart and with coldness and do it uncaring. 
But compassion says, I do this because I care, and I want you to understand that I am concerned about your well-being, and I want you to know, not only do I love you, but the Lord God loves you as well. You have to understand that true greatness is seen in little things. It's not seen in the big things. The Apostle Paul understood that. Here's another thing that's very important, too. And I, I look at this church, and I see the building, and I see that it had uh, probably a lot greater days than it has now. And I'm not being nasty. I'm just trying to make a reality. But the bottom line is this. Paul didn't start the fire. The barbarians did. Paul didn't say, it's not my fire, let them keep it going. Paul said, I know they started, but I'm going to continue what they started. He was working behind the scenes. There was no glamour in what he was doing. In fact, he was colder and wetter than everybody else because he was not by the fire. He was out doing this. You know, sometimes we have to understand that what we're doing is continue what someone else started. And as we keep alive the work that God has started through other people years ago, we do our job as God would have us do it. We realize this is not our ministry. No church is our ministry. It is God's work. He started it, and he wants you and I to continue the work in our individual locations day and day so the church of Jesus Christ still has a presence here. Otherwise, people ride by and say, oh, that used to be. That was. They had a great ministry years ago, but it's gone. And sometimes fires sort of have a tendency to get low. I have a, I have a, a stove at home I use in the wintertime, and it's an insert, and at night when I go in, I put a couple pieces of wood in it, and fire's going good, and I go to bed, and I get up in the morning, and I look, and I, <laughs> there's a couple of embers there. But I put some wood on it, open the vent a little bit, and guess what happens? Shoo, it comes again. Now, what I'm saying is this. You and I may be in the ember stage, but somebody may come along and put a little wood on it, and the Spirit of God will breathe a little life in it, and all of a sudden, and we wonder what happened. Not what I do, not what you do, what God does in us and through us, because we've understood the values that Paul is showing us about humility and about service and about ministry. Now, one of the things that I have us to understand is this. When you serve the Lord, there are vipers. Now, on this island, I'm led to understand that the, that the vipers on this island were, were significantly dangerous, and only on this island for some reason, that what they would do in the cold, they would lay dormant. In fact, they, they would lay like a stick, and Paul picked up sticks, and in this bundle of sticks was his viper. And what happened is he got near the fire, it woke it up and attached itself on it. It was a danger. 
and do what he did. And we serve the Lord, there are vipers. Criticism, censure, jealousy, envy. I, I had a lady one time say to me, I can't believe that you were so thankful that so-and-so was in church and my mother was there and you didn't say anything about it. Self-centered, critical, and I went, I'm sorry. It just never struck my mind that your mother was there. And you know, as you serve the Lord, you get those things. But you have to realize that is something that is the consequence of serving the Lord. It's the consequence of walking in the footsteps of Jesus, as Peter tells us. Uh, when he was reviled against, he reviled not. When he threatened, he threatened not. Uh, oh, by the way, they hung him on a cross and killed him. And he was the perfect human being. If you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to understand there's going to be problems and difficulties. But again, it's your attitude, how you deal with them, that makes a difference. And as a result of what happened, Paul prepared the way and had an impact upon other schools. When they saw this, they realized something was different about this man. So the question comes, how do you respond to your adversity, to your sickness, to your financial loss, to your opposition, to your, how do you respond to it? And the way you respond opens or closes the door of ministry to other people. If you shoot back with unkind words, it closes doors. If you meet unkindness with kindness, hate, you meet hate with love, you begin to see doors opening for people to have, an, for ministry, because they see something different. Not to get involved, but look at the political landscape we're in today. Venom and viral, get back and forth like this. How do people serve people in that kind of an attitude? Well, the question is, how do Christians serve people? in this world when they have that kind of attitude of venom and viral toward each other. And so the important thing is for us to realize that attitude becomes a difference. So my question will be, what sticks are you gonna pick up to keep the fire going? Now, before I answer that question, let me tell you who I consider the most important person in the local church. You ready for this? The janitor. He said, yeah, I'll tell you a story. I walked into a church when I first came, the pastor. Happened to walk in the back door because that's where I parked and had been an hour and a half ride, and so I had to go visit the restroom. I barely could get in the restroom, the smell was so bad. There was urine on the floor, hadn't been cleaned up. And I thought it was just me, and I was only the second person there, so it wasn't like people were there before. My wife went in the ladies' room, it was the same thing. I walked out in the auditorium, this is July, and the Christmas wreaths were still on the wall. The speakers were piled up right here on, on, on the 
chairs, and there was a, down here, the pulpit was a mess, nothing was clean. As I walked down the aisle, bulletins from three, four, five weeks were laying on the pews. I got into the vestibule, and all there was was a, a table with a mess. And they, they just kept piling bulletins on top of other bulletins, on top of other bulletins, and papers upon papers. And I said to myself, who would come to a church like this? So I said to one of the deacons, and by the way, I've never been asked back since this. I said to him, you know, if I was a visitor, I would have walked out when I walked in. He said, why? I said, because your church is a mess. If you can't keep your church clean and attempt to honor God and tell people we care about God, why would you want me to stay when there's another church around the corner that has the same name on it that's probably in much better shape, at least the building is, than you are? And I haven't even talked about the outside of the building. You know, you know, the Muslims build, are building buildings in the Middle East that are monuments. And the Catholics have all kinds of gold in some of their churches. Why? Because they honor God. That's the way we honor God and say, we care about our God. Go to the Old Testament and you go to the Old Testament and read how they took care of their church, their, their temple. And so to me, the person who keeps the church clean is the job that no one cares about. I'll bet you if you come into the church and it's clean, you don't say, oh, look how clean the church is. You take it for granted. You notice when it's dirty, but you don't notice when it's clean. To me, that's the most important job, and that's the job that nobody really wants, because it's a dirty job, it's a filthy job. It's an, no one ever walks up and says, hey, good job keeping the church clean. Oh, it all goes, hey, you know what? You forgot to get those books over in the corner. Or they, you know, this was dirty. This is a job to get the complaints. So we have to understand that, that there are other jobs that are very important. I'm not negating others, but I'm just trying to give you an idea what I mean by humility and serving the Lord. And taking, we have to, can't take things for granted. Okay, with well, 10 sticks, what sticks are you going to pick up to keep the fire going? Number one, the stick of unity. Are you going to work together with people who have different ideas, different thoughts than you? Or are you going to say, this is my church, or are we going to do it my way? Number two, the stick of humility. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Or do I see myself as the most important person? Stick marked love. Am I going to demonstrate a loving attitude or an unkind, uncaring? Stick marked forgiveness. You know, this is one of the hardest sticks because we say, well, he hasn't asked for forgiveness, so what? The Bible says we forgive even though they don't ask. The difference is he doesn't experience the blessing of being forgiven if he doesn't ask, but you're set free from his control over you or her control over you, and you're not quite in anger and bitterness, so forgiveness is important. Stick mark witnessing. Who are you going to share your faith with that they may come to Christ as Savior? A stick mark diligence. Your earnest care as opposed to procrastination. Now, 50 years of ministry this is probably the one I dealt with the hardest is people procrastinate. Diligence says, I got a job to do, let me do it now and get it done and do it the right way. 
a stick marked faith, believing God and trusting God by obeying his word and his action. Let me use an illustration here. Uh, I was in a church, my church in Pennsylvania. I got there, I hadn't been there about three months, and all of a sudden I realized that we have a financial problem. We are running behind. And so missionaries were getting paid quarterly and they were getting their check a month late. And I, trustees and I sat down and we were talking about it. I said, what are we going to do about this fact that we are running behind? How are we going to get back up to where we're going to go? We had this long discussion, and uh, I said, I'll tell you what, let's spend some time in prayer. We all took turns and prayed around the room. There were seven of us, eight of us, six, seven trustees and myself. We finished praying, one of the men said to me, I'll tell you what, guys, I'll write a check in the front of the middle of the room. You, met, you write your checks in the front of the middle of the room. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. You want to write a check? Put it in the offering. But we're not going to do that. Within a month after that incident, we were back on budget. And five years later, we had a, a Thanksgiving service, and one of the deacon trustees got up and said he was thankful for the Lord's providing as we, because we exercised our faith to trust him to make that provision. Since that day till then, we had never been behind our budget. Why? It was not because what men did. It was because of what God did through men after men went to God and trusted God to keep his word. Stick mark service. Ministering to others, praying for, encouraging notes, helping in various ways, without which I hear today. Service. Faithfulness. Doing the job God wants us to do. Being regular, being faithful. That's something that's missing today. Um, when I was in Athens, I could almost... Every Sunday morning, you know, certain people weren't going to be there because they missed every other week or every third week. They weren't, it wasn't they had somebody else to go, they just weren't faithful to the services, faithful to the ministry. And the last stick is a stick mark stewardship. Using everything God's given you in a way that glorifies God. Um, I have a car outside, it's not a new one, it's a Toyota, it's 19, 2011. It's not mine. I own it technically, for, it's not belongs to God. I need to use that, which will, in a way will glorify God. I have a house, it's not mine, it belongs to God. I have a couple of dollars in my pocket, they're not mine, they belong to God. It's not a question of, stewardship is not saying 10% is God, the rest is mine. No, stewardship says, I give 10% plus of my income to serve the Lord, but I also use the rest of my money because it belongs to the Lord in a way which honors and glorifies Him. I use my talents, I use my abilities, I use my skills in a way that honors and glorifies Him. It's a matter of learning to working together. I got news for you. Um, I could not touch that system over there. But somebody else took care of it so I could have a sound system. I can't fix something. Um, I got black thumbs when it comes to fixing something. 
But you know what? In my ministries, there's always been people to help fix things. Working together. The whole process that is there. So the question is, uh, is are you going to pick up sticks to keep the fire going? Or are you going to stand by the fire and stay warm and let it go out? Because if no one added wood to that fire, it would have gone out. And those people would have gotten cold. But Paul had the vision and the desire to be of a service to others. He went and picked up sticks and brought them back at his own expense, at his own cost, at his own hurt, and brought them back and laid them there. But what it did, if you read the rest of the chapter, it opened the door of ministry to the people on the island. And he was able to, through healing, minister to people as a result of the way he responded to his difficulty. Instead of being a stumbling block, it became a stepping stone. And so every time you come across a bend in a road, you come across a bump in a road or a disruptive moment in your life, say to yourself, am I going to let this be a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Am I going to let it keep me from the Lord or am I going to draw me closer to the Lord? Am I going to let it keep me from serving the Lord or am I going to find a way to serve the Lord and open the door? The choice is about what is our attitude. Not just starting well, but finishing well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you, Father, for the fact that you have provided in this community a church for many, many years as a light and a testimony to people. And Father, I pray that uh, you'll allow this church to continue to survive in the community and to grow, and that people will understand that in this building, a group of people meet who love you, who serve you, who trust you, who believe you, who will minister to them in ways they cannot believe because they need not just to have physical needs met, but they need to have their heart need met in Jesus Christ. Allow the things that take place in the life of this church in the next couple of years be things that will open doors of ministry to people that they may come to know Christ as Savior. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.